just bear with me while I, whilst I adjust the equipment. That's better. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to say, uh, see, where is Hannah and Giovanni gone? Huh? Are they at the back? <laughs> it's great to uh, see you. Sorry I didn't get there yesterday. I, I so dearly wanted to be part of that, but maybe I can hook up with you afterwards. So, yes, as it's been mentioned, we're starting a series on prayer. Um, obviously, I'm starting today. And we're going to be looking at what is prayer. You know, and so, therefore, what's his purpose and, and why pray? Uh, we'll carry on until so like mid-June, but we'll cover topics like how we're going to, uh, how to pray, and that we need to be persistent in prayer. And then we'll look at a couple of characters from the Bible and see how prayer affected their lives. But for today, it's about what is prayer. It says that Jesus often prayed from Luke 5, verse 16. And as we've heard from Claire as well, it's all a part of, of being that whole life disciple. Is that how does prayer affect us and how do uh, we seek to do everything in God's will and what the role of prayer is in that, in forming disciples, disciples like Jesus. I just want to start off with just a, uh, a little illustration of um, how I tend to feel. Okay, if, if I liken myself to a, a praying man, I would say that I'm a bit of a dodgy car mechanic who hasn't passed his driving t- test. Now, I'll let you know what I mean by a dodgy car mechanic uh, passing his driving test. It's because I think I know, you know, roughly the parts of it. You know, I know where bits go. You know, I can pull and shove and stick things in, make things work a little bit. But then, actually, when it comes to prayer in its entirety... I tend to get into it like a complete novice. And like, uh, and like a person who hasn't passed this test, invariably they will crash at some point or come to a halt. Now I say this as a confession, but also hopefully as an encouragement, as you see that I'm no, I'm, I struggle with prayer. And you can see that there's a raft of books in any bookshop, religious uh, or a Christian bookshop or not, but there's loads of books about prayer. But it's crazy, isn't it? Because we, we've, we've already said several times as I was sat here this morning, hearing what prayer is. But the thing is, I know that my life, the way I pray is like a dodgy car mechanic who hasn't passed his driving tests. You see, I know the rough parts, roughly what the, the, the parts consist of. I crash the car. And then I tend to abandon the car, that is prayer, and go on under my own strength. I leave prayer where it is because it didn't work, and I get the rest of the way by my own strength. So I ask myself, well, if I know what prayer is, why do I crash? Why do I leave the car of prayer alone and then start walking under my own strength? Well, Here's a few reasons that I can think of for myself. It may not be prescriptive for everybody, but maybe you recognize some of this yourself. I've already said, it doesn't work for me. 
It may be that prayer just doesn't get me where I want to go. Or I can't handle waiting for my prayers to be answered. It's a seeming void which isn't actually getting to what I want. See, I feel sometimes that God is not doing as I ask. And so I think, well, um, if God's not doing as I ask, I'll leave that and I'll carry on because I know what I want and I know how I can get there. My prayer life does crash because sometimes I feel I have no need. See, I have all I want. Why pray for daily bread when I know that my kitchen is stocked full of the good stuff? And in fact, over Christmas time, it's even stocked better, better stuff than bread. There's lots of chocolate and goodies left over. I have all I need. I have a roof over my head. I have a car to drive. I have lovely friends and family. I don't pray because I don't need. Sometimes, though, I'm reluctant to get in the car whatsoever because I'm fully aware that I haven't passed my driving test. That I know that I am not qualified to come before God. A guilty conscience keeps me from praying. If I start to actually think about what prayer is, and then I look at myself, I feel like I can't even start. God would not want to listen to me who I am. Sometimes my prayer life crashes or ends or doesn't even start because I don't know where I'm going. I don't bother getting in the car because it's like getting to your sat-nav and not knowing what to punch in. Well, what's the point? I don't know what to pray for sometimes. And then, probably one of the biggest ones for me is that I think nothing is going to change. Regardless of whether I pray or not, God's will will be done. So why pray? It's a case of Check this Italian out. Que sera, sera. Is, no, is, that, is, that, is that Italian? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. There you go. <laughs> he looked at me rather puzzled then. Is it my accent? Que sera, sera. But it is. Whatever will be, will be. God is sovereign, so I need not pray. I have no need to get a license, in fact. I have no need to drive the car. I've got no need to pray. So does any of this sound familiar with you? Does it resonate with you at all? Am I on my own? Now if you say yes you are, I will say you are liars. (laughs) Because like I've said, there are rafts of shelves with books on prayer. We are doing a series on prayer. Why? Is it just to tell you what you already know? Or is it the fact that we all struggle with prayer? See, when I do recognize that I do crash, that I am a dodgy car mechanic who hasn't passed his driving test, it's a little bit worrying because it reveals a little bit more about myself. Because I've said it doesn't work for me. That stops me praying. But why? What does that reveal about me? It doesn't work for me. You see... I think it reveals that I'm not humbling myself before God. See, I act as though I've taken scripture that says Jesus is a servant and ignored the rest. 
waiting for God to serve up whatever I desire. So if God is not working for me, I think that I am the center. That's what it reveals about me. I have no need to pray because I have no needs. See, my attitude, therefore, is one of what I can get for myself and that my needs are only to be met materially because that's where my eyes and focus are on. If I feel I'm unworthy, it reveals that I've not wholly understood or accepted that I'm forgiven in Jesus, that I'm not guilty before him because of what Jesus has done. If I don't know what to pray, if I don't know where I'm going, it reveals that I am unfamiliar with the heart and purpose of God. It shows you that I'm ignorant of him and his will. And if nothing is going to change, what does that reveal about me? See, I think it shows that I've not wholly understood or accepted who I am in Christ Jesus. To sum it up then, I think my lack of prayer, or my failure in prayer, reveals the extent of my faith. It reveals the extent of our faith. So you might think, well, Darren surely doesn't, you know, he doesn't struggle in prayer. I've, I've heard him pray up front. He comes to the prayer meetings on Tuesday. But the thing is, hidden prayer, uh, sorry, my, my life can be hidden by this public prayer. Andy uh, read to us this, didn't he? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, in Isaiah, he has this criticism against his people. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Tim Keller actually writes this about this outward, inward dilemma. He says, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your pra private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by circumstances. He says it's the infallible, infallible, there's no error in this, test of spiritual integrity. And I feel convicted by that because I agree with him as well. See, the lack of personal, private prayer may reveal, though, my spiritual integrity. But it doesn't exactly tell me, though, what prayer is. So I come before God a bit guilty, a bit, uh, I suppose, demoralized, shall we say, if I look at that as a test of my spiritual integrity. But it doesn't actually tell us what prayer actually is. But it's not shocking, then, therefore, to tell you what prayer is. We've said it this morning. Prayer is simply talking to God. 
That's prayer. Wonderful. But haven't I already confessed as being a dodgy car mechanic that I've, I, I know those parts. I know the part which says talk to God. I know that that's prayer. But simply knowing prayer is not enough. It hasn't prevented me from abandoning my prayer car in a broken heap and undertaking it the rest of the way under my own strength. Talking to God is not enough, not enough alone to describe what prayer is. So some will add, and some have already added this morning, it's about listening to God. Others might describe prayer as the powerhouse of the church. And these are not wrong. I'm not saying that these aren't wrong. And they describe it as the powerhouse of the church because we believe that God will act through prayer. Well, there's a dead guy with a long beard and a funny hat called Calvin. He lived, he lived about 500 years ago or such, just under 500 years ago. And he was, albeit looking a slightly odd guy, he was a great theologian. And he described prayer as this. He described it as the chief exercise of faith. The chief exercise of faith. See, it is out of and by faith that prayer follows and flows out. It is by is regarding our faith that prayer comes from. And so this seems to ring true, doesn't it? To uh, certainly to me, why my prayer life fails so often is through my lack of faith. Well, and this is what. God has to tell us about faith, then, therefore. What is it that Calvin recognized that said that prayer is the chief, uh, the, <laughs> the chief exercise of faith? What does he know about faith? Well, in Galatians 3, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For, you, uh, for all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. So by faith, we become God's children, and he becomes our father. See, in uh, the next chapter in Galatians, Galatians 4, it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The greatest privilege and blessing that anyone or anything in creation could be given is the title of child of God. To be able to refer to God, to address God as your heavenly father. But not only your heavenly father, Abba Father, a personal and close and intimate and loving father. See, compare this with other religions. Compare this with, with um, Islam. Now, for them, their God is, is distant and angry most of the time. Their prayers are always just the one way. But our God is a relational God. He has, from eternity past, been in a relationship with his Son. So when we call him his uh, Father, that is perfectly what the Son has been doing with the Father from the beginning. 
if God was a God of no relationship, then it would not be right to say and refer to God as Father. It would not be a godly kind of thing to do because God is not a God of relationship. But we know that we have a Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit living in communion. And that is what faith does, is bring us up into that. See, we have been given a gift of communion with God. By faith, we get God. And prayer is the deepest and most intimate way of enjoying that relationship. Can you imagine, therefore, a relationship where you don't say a word? It doesn't work. Relationships do not work with silence. You see, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he began by saying, Father, I've heard a few prayers today, some good prayers today, but it starts off, Lord, which is absolutely right. He is our Lord. But, God, uh, but Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, Father, it reminds us that we have communion with God. It is the chief exercise of faith. It is the number one thing. If we believe and trust in God, what shall we do, Lord? And he doesn't say, go and run mountains, go and do this, this and that. He says, pray. This is your chief exercise. If you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are you to do? Pray. Because that's what God has achieved. We have become children of God. You see, it's a return to Eden, isn't it? When Adam walked with God and spoke with him quite freely. This is what Christ has restored. It is drawing together the coming before God in all his majesty and glory with the intimacy of a mother who embraces her child to her breast. It's incredible if you start to think about it. I was down in Kent for New Year and I was slightly jealous when my in-laws came back from Waitrose in the town centre and said, oh, we've just spoken with Tom Baker. And it is the Tom Baker in big lights. Of all the doctors in Doctor Who's, he must be one of my favourites. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I had volunteered to go shopping. <laughs> I so wanted to go and hear that. You know, he's got a very recognisable voice, is not he? And I thought, oh, man, just a just a sort of like, you know, hobnob with Tom Baker in Waitrose is something to tell people. To be able to get some, maybe some insights into his time as uh, wearing that long scarf. See, I got more excited at that point in spending time in the presence of Tom Baker, listening and sharing in his celebrity glory, than I do a lot of the time think about spending time and sharing God's glory in prayer. It's incredible that my mind works like that, and, I, and I'm sure... I'm sure some of you would share that. See, John Piper, he's not dead. And he says this, the heart of prayer is not getting things from God, but getting God. In prayer, we reply back to God in response to his voice and experience what it means to enjoy him as an end in itself. 
not just a means to our requests. It is about spending time with him. We have been one communion with God by faith in Christ. But Piper says it's a response to his voice. You see, prayer is a response to a conversation that God has initiated. Prayer is a a response to his voice. And God speaks to us through his word and ultimately through his son. See, through his son, he tells us, you are my loved people. I love you. That is the voice of God speaking to you. So as a child of God, prayer is irreducibly relational. It means to satisfy that compulsion just to get hold of the one who has spoken love to me who has spoken reconciliation and have spoken grace to me, both by what he says in his word and by his son, Jesus Christ. I wanted to use um, a quote from Karl Barth. I'm afraid he's another dead theologian. They're not all dead, but this one is dead. But he, he said some wise words just to introduce another aspect of to what prayer is. He says this, in obedience, the Christian is the servant. In faith, he is the child. But in prayer, as the servant and as the child, he is the friend of God, called to the side of God, living and ruling and reigning with him. In obedience, uh, the Christian is the servant in faith, He is the child. But in prayer, as the servant and as the child, he is the friend of God, called to the side of God, living and ruling and reigning with him. See, prayer is conversing with God as a child and as a servant. See, Jesus prayed and he prayed a lot as a son, but also as a servant. See, not only is Jesus God's only true son, but he is also working out his father's plan for creation. And see, this is the backdrop to prayer. The grand purposes of God for his creation, that the kingdom of his son and his perfect will and rule will be uh, uh, established, undisputed, where evil has been conquered. And we as his adopted children, quite staggeringly, have been called to his side to play a part in this too. See, it is to make disciples and to see the extension of Christ's kingdom. That his kingdom come and that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to be our prayer. Not a sentiment, but with great expectation and conviction that we should see this happen. Because we ask for it as children of God. Called to his side. See, what is prayer that we should pray? 
Who are we really? Who are we to ask the God Almighty for things, for such things? Who are we to care for such things? See, what a privilege have we been given. Just to go off the topic of dead theologians, I'm going to quote from Mike Reeves, who lives and breathes. He makes an interesting observation in Matthew chapter 9. He said, uh, from Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to uh, 38, it says, When he saw the crowds, that is, Jesus, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Why did Jesus, he says, say for you to ask for the harvesters? Surely Jesus can do that himself. He can command and bring together. But he says, ask, you ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, by doing that, he shows us that he is sharing in this work as a servant to bring about his kingdom extension. He's asking us to ask God to bring this about. This is how we are sharing in with the Son. What a privilege. See, I don't know if you know, but there are more if-then clauses associated with prayer in the Bible than any other single human activity. It says, if you pray, then I will do this. If you ask, then I will respond. It depends on our prayers. So therefore, in bringing about his kingdom, prayer does make a difference because God is waiting and expecting for us to pray to him. See, prayer is the God-ordained means for God's action. That's what prayer is. So if we don't pray, perhaps maybe God won't uh, um, action. But the thing is, there's an issue, isn't there? Um, a bit of case sera. God is sovereign. God will do as he wishes. And so why pray? Well, that's true. It's his perfect will for Jesus to have been sacrificed and risen for, um, for our sakes. We didn't do anything about that. Everything which happens is down and due to the will of God. So what difference do we make? Well, if his will, if his will concerns the outcomes of, of what he desires, his perfect will also means that he wills it through prayer. That's all part of his perfect will. Not only the outcome, but the means by which that will happen. It is his perfect will that we pray his perfect will. It's one of those things where I, um, I was... T- or I was taught, is that um, when you're hanging as a um, gymnast off the, the two, what are the two circles and stuff, you know? Who did, huh? The rings. The two circles are called rings, okay? <laughs> and there's a God's truth on one hand, so God's sovereignty on one hand. And then our ability, or apparent ability, to pray to God for him to act, to change his mind. But the thing is, 
is that we need to hold on to both truths. Because if we let go of one, we find ourselves swinging. But it's one of those things where we know that God is perfect and sovereign. But his perfect will says that we should pray and that his perfect will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John Wesley, the 18th century Methodist preacher, said this. Well, he might have overemphasized the point a little when he said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. But it certainly helps then, doesn't it, highlight the crucial role that prayer takes in God's work on earth. Well, it's the chief exercise of our faith. If we believe that Jesus is Lord and that God is sovereign, then we must expect things to happen. So prayer, both our own enjoyment of God as a child, recognizing our dependency on him, and in and through which we are servants of God, We've got so much to pray for, haven't we? If we are both children and servants, wholly dependent on him and employed in his service, we've got so much to pray for. And it's no wonder that Jesus prayed so many uh, times, and many times on his own, forging ahead whilst he's on earth with that plan of salvation. How much did he need to speak to his father about those ongoing concerns? You see, Jesus prayed in thankfulness. He prayed for the Spirit. He prayed for guidance and for wisdom. He asked for wisdom when appointing the 12 disciples. He prayed when he healed. He prayed for comfort. He prayed for protection for his friends. He even prayed on the cross, having been forsaken by the Father. You may have noticed that much, if not all of Jesus' prayers, required him to listen to his father. Whether it was a word of comfort, whether it was for um, direction, what should I do now, Father? We have the ear of God, but God also needs to have our ears too. So prayer is certainly listening to God, hearing his voice, Some may claim to hear voice audibly. And I don't deny that happens because even uh, if you look in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, where the prophet Samuel heard God. He heard God calling his name. But for us, we may hear God audibly, but primarily God speaks through his word. He speaks um, through his spirit. So as we pray, as we come to God in prayer, to listen to God to be is to be versed in what God says and what God wills. And then by his spirit, he will convict us and challenge us and excite us by what we know of his voice. It's a conversation that he has initiated. See, I've got a thick systematic theology written by a guy called Burkhoff. I don't read it too much, but he does say this. God does not want us as objects, but as covenant partners, partners who can converse. He desires our uh, conversation input, our spontaneous gratitude, our free concurrence, but also our patient 
or impatient questioning. And even when our vehement protest is dearer, and even our vehement protest is dearer to him than a silent, unconvinced acquiescence. Indifferent silence. Thinking, que Sarah Sarah, being happy to go along with whatever God wants, is trumped by our most ill-informed but heartfelt rants. Isn't that a challenge? To start opening our mouths to God? That indifferent silence is worse than an ill-informed heart that just rants to God. So how does knowing what prayer is help me from uh, carrying on like a dodgy car mechanic who hasn't passed his test? It doesn't work for me. Well, what I know of prayer is, is praying God's, uh, praying God's thoughts and wills. That he is involving me in that. See, prayer aligns our hearts and minds with the purposes and desires of God. See, it says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and, uh, and effective. We pray along the lines that God wills. See, selfish prayers, prayers concerning my own needs, most likely will never be answered with a yes. It doesn't work for me. Well, I need to be prepared to listen. I have no need to pray. That's my problem. I have all that I want. But by prayer, and what prayer is, we know that we are wholly dependent on him. If we pray regularly, we know and recognize that God is the source of all good in our lives and all gracious gifts. If we don't pray, we will forget that truth. I am unworthy to pray. Uh, I, I am still God's child. Christ is my confidence, and he wants me to call him, to call upon him and ask to be forgiven in Jesus. I don't know what to pray for. Man, we've just said. If prayer is being both child and servant, Ma- uh, making, for, uh, making prayers so that his extension of his kingdom will come about. How much have we got to pray for? Nothing is going to change. Well, first of all, I'm going to change. As my thoughts become aligned with God's, as I pray along his will, his will becomes mine. I love what God loves, and I will know what God knows. Not only will I change, but history will change. God's perfect will is that prayer is the means through which God acts. So we need to remind our truth uh, ourselves what prayer is and let that be the motivation to actually pray. And don't be scared. Just, just pray. And you hear of these great um, guys of old who did three or four hours of prayer before breakfast. Got up, did a few more hours of prayer before writing sermons and books and then praying a bit more. One of those guys who was renowned for that was Martin, uh, Martin Luther. And we sometimes sort of like think, wow, if I could only pray three hours, what does that re- reveal about my faith? In private, wow, I must be holy. But he wrote to a friend once, and he said this, You extol me so much, your opinion of me shames and tortures me, since unfortunately I sit here like a fool, and ordained in leisure, pray little, 
do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I'm ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied. This is partly because of temptations of the flesh, partly because I'm tortured by other burdens. See, great guys like this drives a car rather erratically and crashes. Martin Luther, a great man, but it's comforting to know that he struggled too. And it is a battle, and it's a battle that Satan loves to wage because he, he will tell us, forget what prayer is, that you're not a child of God, that you're not called to the side of God, that God will, God will act, whatever. You do not need to speak to him. You can remain silent and still be um, his child. He wants us to forget that we have the ear of God. Well, let that be a challenge to us and an encouragement that God is our Father. Let's start our prayers like that and remember what he has planned for. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have called us to pray. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we are your children. Lord, we pray that you lift our hearts and minds and consider what prayer is Heavenly Father, help us not to listen to the temptations of Satan to, to not to pray. Help us to spend time in your presence, enjoying you, and knowing your will, and seeing it happen, we ask. Amen.